Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to another edition of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer and the Blackjack Media Group alongside my guys Ian Schreier and Mike Zabo. I'm Joey Jarzinka. Can't thank you enough for joining us here on episode number 60. Last week, Ian and Rob, myself, we were in Atlantic City, so that was a fun time and uh, and, and a, a definitely a different type of show that we did, but... It's good to be back in our uh, in our own homes and doing it uh, behind our or with our backdrops uh, behind us here. But, ladies and gentlemen, this show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Be sure to visit them all over Facebook and be sure to download their newest album, Free Cake, which is out loud play out now and play loud. Listen on Apple Music, Deezer, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Pandora, and Spotify. All good stuff. Welcome to the show, Mike Zabo. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Same old, same old, Joey. Just, you know, getting through the summer. It's going really fast, but, you know, had a great July 4th weekend. You know, can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, I love it. Really, really good stuff. And for those that are observing uh, July 4th on uh, on July 5th, because it is obviously Independence Day, quote or parentheses observed, happy Independence Day and happy July 5th for uh, for all of you that are out there still barbecuing and, uh, and tuning in to us just a couple hours or rather, about 58 minutes prior to the Stanley Cup final, game number four. Ian Schreier, good to see you again, sir. It's been uh, roughly about uh, six days since I last saw you in person. Yeah, it's 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 been a great trip. It was a great trip down to Atlantic City. We had a lot of fun. It was great to present our viewers with a with a live show and uh, to, to really for you, uh, myself, and Rob to be together to finally primetime rundown episode 59 together live in person but uh now as you said and as i posted on twitter we're back in the friendly confines of our home our own homes uh myself and joey draped with a nice backdrop and it's nice to see the crown molding up in mike's house it's really good really good <laughs> listen listen that's all that is all good stuff there over in middle village where uh where mike zabo is located but all good things ahead for us here at the primetime rundown because uh it's been a uh a rough weekend for most. Uh, and when we say most, we're talking about the Mets fans and Yankees fans. And obviously we can talk about the latter uh, where both Mike Zabo and myself, we're both Yankees fans. And it's really difficult for us to see the New York Mets taking two out of three. Uh, I mean, listen, let's be honest here. I want to start off with Ian Schreier here um, for most that were actually going to the ballpark. Um, some of them had to see a seven inning single header admission uh, for Sunday night. And that ticked off a ton of people. Um, honestly, that would tick off myself um, because of the rain out on Friday. People got to see obviously the, uh, the double header or rather uh, was it? Yeah, it was uh, Friday was the, was the rain out. Friday was the um, rain out and Sunday they played two sevens. Exactly. Right? And then they played both games there. I mean, there was it was so bad to see what Araldis Chapman had to do, and and really you got to see the Mets. They actually won a series against the Yankees. Ian Schreier, talk about uh, your Mets and uh, and and Pete Alonso because the uh, the polar bear you're still not too fond of, which I I couldn't believe. You know, I mean, I wrote a little sign in black sharpie here when I heard uh, you mention Araldis Chapman and Mike when Mike Mike's voice just dropped. So I was going to write "be back in 15, maybe when Mike is done. <laughs> you know, with, with his uh, with his rant about the Yankees. But um, no, I mean, look, I'm still not thrilled with with Pete's play. And as much as I hope Rob DeLuca, who's not with us tonight, is watching and going to comment and tell me how wrong I am because uh, not only did Pete hit the game tying home run off Araldis Chapman in Game One, he also hit the home run to cut the deficit to three to two in the second game of the doubleheader. But um, 
with respect to the uh the point you made joey about the doubleheaders being seven innings i'm i'm a traditional baseball fan so initially when i heard that they were reducing the number of innings for doubleheaders from nine to seven i was actually i i, I opposed it uh but you know what watching how the games have been moving with doubleheaders it's nice to see that like we're done with a doubleheader with with a, with a baseball doubleheader in just about four hours i mean if you can want to talk about each game finishing in just about two hours uh with respect to the mets um Look, I didn't, you know, Yankee Stadium has been a house of horrors for the Mets for the better part of 20 years. I mean, you, this team, for some reason, even though historically, if you look at recent history, with the number of times in the last few years, the Mets and Yankees have split the Subway Series, meaning all six games. Usually what happens is, is the Mets take two out of three at Yankee Stadium, and then when they come back to City Field, the Yankees usually take two out of three in Queens. Don't know why that is, but that's usually how it works. But for 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 the Bronx, which has been such a, you know a misery for the Mets for so many years, it was great to see Taiwan Walker come out and really compete and give the Mets you know five six great innings on uh, on uh, Saturday, um, and then you know on Sunday once uh, you know Dom Smith hits that Yankee Stadium style home run, which only goes about two rows back of the you know in right center field, and once everything blew up at that point with respect to uh, Stroman, um, you know not being able to. Uh, find his control midway through the game. He was he was looking he was looking like he was cruising uh, the first few innings. But um, I thought at four to one, I was ready. I was ready to turn the game off, honestly, until um, I saw what happened with the Yankees and ultimately the uh, the Mets went on to win uh, that game in convincing fashion because of the heavy offense that they that they supplied in the seventh inning. So yeah, I, I was a little surprised they came in and won two out of three. I thought this was going to be the series for the Yankees to really jump on a team that right now is not plugging away at anything offensively. Um, so, cause to me, to me, the Yankees, to yeah. me, well, to me, the Yankee series is always, like I said, has been, has been a team that the Mets have always struggled with. And for me, it would seem like a launching pad for the Yankees to start establishing some success, except that's not what happened. Mike Zabo, you and I are Yankees fans. And um, there, I saw a stat and I'm sure you saw it too, um, that this team is, is on pace to go, 82 and 80 for the first time since 1992. Um, it, it, right now they're sitting at 41 and 41. It is an absolute, it, it, it's, a, it's an atrocity, truthfully. Uh, we're seeing Brian Cashman get away with a lot of this stuff that's going on here. And Ian brought up a great point yesterday off camera. Um, Aaron Boone is only given, he's working with what he's got. That's that's basically what it comes down to. And Brian Cashman really is uh, is not really taking any of the heat, especially in front of the camera, maybe behind the scenes, possibly. Um, but Aaron Boone is taking all the heat. Um, the players right now, Aaron, uh, Araldis Chapman does not look like himself from a few years ago. Uh, the only player that we can really talk about in you know good faith really is DJ LeMahieu. And he can't, unfortunately that one through nine and pitch as well and close and manage the team. Mike Zabo, what do you see and what grinds your gears with New York Yankees? Uh, there, there's so many ways to go about this. I mean, forget about just the Mets series. We, we could go on forever about that silly Angels loss in that Otani game. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I can't even go there. That that was atrocious. The, Jar the Jared Walsh grand slam, right? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh. It's just um, – that was – the worst baseball I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the in this Mets series, I mean, you're right, Joey. Boone is going to be the fall guy, no matter what. I have issues with him. He's not completely blameless for how the team is playing, but right. 
You're absolutely right with Brian Cashman. I've seen a lot more hate for him and criticism for him about the job he's done. The fact is the roster is poorly constructed. And yeah. David, we've been, we've been saying it, you know, for a while. I think Yankee fans have been saying it for the last couple of years, ever since they've been in this, you know, World Series contention since 2017, that they need more balance in the lineup. They need more balance in the lineup. And especially after last year, it was said it's uh, more loudly, I think, than any other year that this team needed a shakeup. It needed more balance and it was not done. David Cohn said it perfect on the weekend's broadcast. I'm not sure if it was in the doubleheader games or if it was on Saturday, but he summed it up perfectly. And he said that the Mets roster, the Mets lineup is actually better constructed for Yankee Stadium than the Yankees lineup was. I 100%. Yeah, I believe it was the first game of the doubleheader on Sunday that the, the Mets had six out of their nine guys in the lineup were lefties. And uh, why don't the Yankees have that when their short porch in right field is just 314 feet away? How do you not have more lefties in your in your lineup more consistently? I think the only guy really is Brett Gardner that is really there. They just sent Tyler Wade down to the minors, so he's gone. So all you have is long overdue. Yeah, long overdue with Tyler Wade. I don't know why he's only there as a as a pinch runner. I mean. But he's going to wind up hitting 330 in the minors and then come up and they'll think that he can hit again. But the only one is really Brett Gardner. That's that's a lefty that, that really works things out. And people say now in hindsight, was Didi Gregor- letting Didi Gregorius go being a bad move. Other guys this offseason, I've been crying out to sign Michael Brantley, and that hasn't been done. And it was revealed that the Yankees front office were talking about signing uh, Michael Brantley or Kyle Schwarber in the offseason, but did not do so because they didn't have enough payroll flexibility. This is the New York Yankees. George Steinbrenner would be rolling in his grave about hearing those two words, payroll flexibility. I mean, just wrap your mind around the fact that the Yankees had a $260 million payroll last year, and in the middle of a World Series window when you needed to add because you clearly didn't win a championship, you still needed more pieces, you needed to improve, in the middle of a World Series contending window, they cut payroll by 20%. I mean, how ludicrous is that? In a sport that does not have a hard salary cap, you put a hard cap on yourself. The roster is just poorly constructed by Brian Cashman, and he's gotten away with the resume he has on other teams. Brian Cashman would have been fired years ago, but he got off because of the fact that they believed that he would be able to rebuild the team after 2013, after the core four retired, and to his credit, he did do so. He did rebuild the team quicker than more people expected in 2017. They started contending two years earlier than people had thought. But since then, I mean, there's been bad. You look back in hindsight from now, from 2017 till now, you look back in hindsight, some moves that were made or not made that have just put the Yankees in this position where they are. And it's just a complete organizational failure. So I want to bring this up here, and and you said it perfectly, because back when we first started this show back in 2019, uh, I don't remember if it was prior to that or whenever it was. I remember we brought it up on this show when it was live here uh, on on, on my my premises, and we had said, both Tyler Adele and Nick Partain and myself, we had said this, that when and and I made sure to to say this over and over again when the trade for Giancarlo Stanton 
was officially put through. I remember saying over and over again, this will come back to haunt them. And you know what? That is not really being spoken about now because you know who's really taking the fall for that? Aaron Judge now. Why? Yeah. Because Aaron Judge is still on a team-friendly contract. He's still not making a ton of money like how Giancarlo Stanton is right now. Okay, And if I'm not mistaken, Mike or Ian, please, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, Giancarlo's contract was, I believe, 12 years in the range of about 300 something million at the time <laughs> that was signed by or that was by former owner of the Marlins, Jeffrey Loria. OK, and then when Derek Jeter bought and, and his crew bought the team, he wanted to completely jettison him in a matter of minutes. Well, they, the he wanted to jettison everybody. I mean, he did. And he, that was and the whole, I mean, it was, it was the Marlins fire sale part three. I mean, exactly. Ozuna. And I mean, the only guy Ellis. who stayed, yeah, the only guy who stayed was Rio Mudo. That's that was it. it. <laughs> he was and, gone in the offseason. And now he's gone. And right. now he's gone. But the best part that Mike said though, is, is that the three fourteen part at Yankee stadium in right field, there is not a single left-handed hitter that can get there. Right now, none. There's not even a single left-handed batter. There's not even that because they relied too much on this guy named Giancarlo Stanton as well as Aaron Judge, which, again, you put too much pressure on this kid. And, of course, you're going to get the New York pressure all over you. Jean and really, also, again, Aaron Hicks is a switch hitter. Can he do it? Oh, wait, I forgot. He's injured yet again. He's out again. Um. The way that this roster is built is an absolute disgrace, as well as something that's very ironic. Uh, according to our good friends at um, MLB.com and Xfinity, Michael Brantley leads Major League Baseball with a 340 batting average. Yeah. Mike Zabo, how does that make you feel hearing that? Well, just stab a knife through my heart. I mean, fans <laughs> have been saying it to sign this guy every time I've been watching him with the Astros. He's a lefty DJ LeMahieu. Why would you not want to have that on your team? And then you bring up those stats. Look at what Kyle Schwarber's doing at the Nationals, how much he's mashing the ball. I mean, oh, the Yankees, yeah. uh, they act like a college team by the fact that, you know, it's like a miracle if a fly ball gets out of the stadium. This used to be the Bronze Bombers not even a year and a half ago. Well, well, you see, now that's the thing, though, and, and Ian, we're going to get to you in just a second. And, and and my last point on this here is, is that this roster is built to be the Bronx Bombers. That's exactly how this roster is built, and it is home runs or nothing. And they've got DJ LeMahieu in there to carry the load when it's the nothing part. And unfortunately for DJ LeMahieu, I would honestly say, listen, if you guys don't improve or even get me some help in the lineup, I mean, listen, someone is going to be the fall guy. It's not going to be LeMahieu, but I would not be surprised. I'm telling you this right now. Mark it down here, 716 Eastern Daylight Time on July 5th. Aaron Judge will be the fall guy on as term in terms of the roster mm -hmm. because you have to pay him next year. You're going to have to pay Gary Sanchez, who, by the way, is completely on a different track trying to get back uh, up and running. And also, Glaber Torres as well is due a payday. There's a lot of problems in the Bronx. Ian Schreier, final thoughts. 
So there's a few points here that I want to get to that both you, Joey, and Micah, you, you both said. Uh, I, I wouldn't be losing my marbles over Kyle Schwarber. I, I realize he set a major league record for uh, home runs, and of course that that whole streak sparked against the Mets. No, but I would be over my. What, what doesn't what what you know what bad what streak to harm you know for major league baseball doesn't start against the Mets. But um, I mean, this is a guy who's who's been relatively injured for the better part of his career. Um, this is a guy who was hitting about 220 before he even got onto this home run kick. Now, granted, I think Yankee Stadium would be a great ballpark for him to play in, but I don't think there's any guarantees that he'd still be hitting the same way that, you know, this month, maybe if he was in a Yankee uniform rather than a Nationals uniform. Hindsight's always 20-20. But, uh, listen, though, but, you see, that's but, the thing, though, with what with what Schwarber has been doing in Nationals Park, if I'm not mistaken, down the right field line is like 342. Over well, there. you know what? I mean, look, I, I don't – before, as I was just saying, like I don't know if I mean, is, is are you losing that much in the lineup right now by saying that Kyle Schwarber's hitting 220 when the rest of the Yankee lineup isn't hitting? Yeah, he he's definitely is he an upgrade at this current point? There's no question about it. Um, the one guy that's shocking me that I'm surprised, and and this goes back to the point I thought that was a great point that you guys made about Didi Gregorius is um how much Glaber Torres is struggling. That 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 is that is that's really really a red flag for me because you know what I mean? Look, guys like Stanton making too much money right now just to DH. Um, Aaron Judge, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think it's going to end up as a fall guy, but I think not enough attention is being paid to Glaber Torres right now. Um, he was a guy that was that came in, was mashing the ball, and now all of a sudden has not found his power stroke whatsoever. So, yeah, that's that's a huge concern considering even though Didi has spent the better part of the first half this year on the injured list, to see what he's done in Philadelphia the last two years, that is a, that is a huge turning point right now for the Yankees. And the biggest part, too, is that he's doing it for former New York Yankees manager Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi. because he also mashed the ball with him. He did. Yeah. He did phenomenally. Yeah, and he's a left-handed bat. So my, you know, I want to. I'm never going to give the Sunday Night Baseball crew any credit, but something <laughs> that a something that A Rod did actually say yesterday was, and and you know, talking about a guy who was a former Yankee, won a World Championship with the Yankees, said that solo home runs don't really do anything for you anymore, right? They, they, it, no, it doesn't matter. You're up one nothing, two nothing, a couple of good, couple of shots into the gap that changes the, the complexion of the entire game. So, unfortunately, because of the ball, a because of the ballpark the Yankees play in, b because the family that still owns the team has the last name. Steinbrenner in it they're just forever going to be devoted to this Brock's Bombers mentality of we need to hit home runs and we need to go out and sign the players that are going to continue to hit home runs unfortunately in this day and age of baseball it just doesn't look like that's working anymore it's definitely fair for sure um I mean the fact of the matter is is that I love how you brought up Glaber Torres because what the Yankees are trying to make sure that I don't know, maybe problem number one was letting Didi Gregorius go because of that left-handed power bat, which I can't believe I'm saying it, but if you put Didi Gregorius in the lineup today, his bat would look like a power bat yeah, because of the consistency that he has been able to do. Uh, it's brutal, and because Brian Morales was supposed to be with us, he is watching us, and he is giving us some comments uh, he was supposed to be with us tonight. Uh, Brian Morales, the director of media relations at Wagner College in the NEC. Uh, Brian, sorry, guys, I couldn't make it on, but this Yankees team is shaping to be the Yankees of early 90s. History has a weird way of repeating itself. Watch, we will be sellers. Uh, See, I can't wow. bored with that. I can't. His, 
his final Yankee thought before he starts his drive again. We stink. Full reset is a must. Last NY team to get to this point. Well, even though I wanted this to be the the the, the final point B, I got to tell you, it's not. There's there's not going to be sellers. It's not. There, there will, I can't no. get on board with that. People. There will never that. the Steinbrenners. That is one thing that they will never do. Will be sellers. not a they chance. Be, they will always be buyers, but they will be cheap buyers. And that's the problem is that they are un they have to now deal with the Garrett Cole contract and the Giancarlo Stanton contract that now will haunt them because now we're beginning to see Garrett Cole no sticky stuff minus sticky stuff. If I'm not mistaken, in his last four or five starts, his ERA is about a four point two five. Wow. Yeah, I feel that's an e that's an ease that's low hanging fruit to go after the sticky stuff because the fact is I've heard and I've read it that. Uh, after the sticky stuff enforcement, because what the whole premise behind the sticky substances was that it, it was increase your spin rate and alter pitches or whatnot. With all this crackdown, Cole's spin rate on his pitches is actually not that much different than before the enforcement. So his problem, I think, is mental. It's uh, I think whatever the substances, the substance crackdown has affected things. His command has gone down, maybe because the substances helped it. But the command's gone down, his vocation's gone and worse, and that's led to him giving up more runs, and especially the home run ball. He's been more prone to that. So I about the that's fact the premise behind that. I don't think it's like, you know, he's becoming Pirates Cole again. I think, I think it's just a command issue that he has to work through. How about the fact, and, and you want to talk about comparisons between the Yankees of the 90s and the Yankees of now and how the game has changed so much, and you look at the teams that have won – World Series the last decade, okay? And you look at teams that are that have good pitching, um, well-rounded hitters, guys that can hit for power, guys that can also hit for average, guys that can steal bases, and then guys that play good defense. And the Yankees, if I'm not mistaken, and it was mentioned yeah, on the best several I'm occasions. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ian, but the best defender is on the injured is on the <laughs> uh, injured list who's out for the who is out for another year a full right. year in Aaron Hicks. Yeah. Go on. No, that's but I mean they are almost dead last in Major League Baseball in defensive runs saved. So I mean they're not doing themselves any favors at all uh by not being a sound defensive club. So we want to sit here and and bash and bash and bash and talk about how poor the Yankees are in, with with respect to time with to situational hitting and with respect to just scoring runs in a ballpark that's as small and as plays as well to the hitters as Yankee Stadium does. How about also your defense? <laughs> I mean, we, you look at teams like the Dodgers that have won the World Series and the Nationals and the Red Sox, a rival in your own an arch rival in your own division, and see the way they do it in, in a small ballpark. It, that has to be more replicated. Something with this Brox Bombers you know, turn this, this mantra of, we need to hit home runs to win games. There needs to be some sort of medium here. There needs to be some sort of balance where, you know, maybe you trade off. I mean, are they going to look to trade an Aaron judge? Are they going to look to, cause they don't want to pay him. Are they going to, you know, you're not going to be able to unload Stanton's salary. No, so what's the next, what's no the next choice. step for them? I don't know. You have no choice, but to trade either Glaber Torres or Aaron judge and maximize the value. That's you have no choice, but to do that. Because again, like I just said a few seconds ago is that that Stanton contract you are stuck with that Garrett Cole contract you are now officially stuck with. And now we are in year number two. Yes. Okay. As Mike did say that the, the contract is still is still looking okay for right now, but as as Mike said, maybe a little bit of uh, you know mental things going on, maybe a little a little distraction with this sticky stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is that yes, we are in year number two of this of this long contract, and okay, we we're hit, we've hit we've hit a little bump in the road. If it continues like this, 
Brian Cashman's head will want will be on a silver platter by numerous Yankees fans. Well, well, do you think, and I'm going to ask the two Yankee fans this question. I mean, I know how you guys feel about Cashman, and I think his head should be more on the slab than Aaron Boone's is. I think Aaron Boone at this point has become is, – is, I mean, I was, talking, I was talking with some family – That Brian Cashman does not get in front of the cameras every no, single day. No, I know that. Aaron but, but I, does, and that's why he's getting the – that's why he's getting the knife. Well, I think he's just – he's a scapegoat at this point. And I was, well, talking to some, I was talking to some family here this weekend, yesterday specifically, about, you know, what – you know. What what is it with baseball today? The lineup card isn't even made by Aaron Boone anymore. The lineup card by the Mets isn't even filled out by Louis Rojas anymore. No. It's filled out by the by the nerds in the room who are studying all these analytics about projecting the most optimal lineup that the Yankees can put out there day after day after day. You want to put anybody's head on a slab, you put Brian Cashman's head on a slab. But the problem is, is that when you look at his career and his resume of what he's done with the Yankees in the last 25 years, it's, I have a hard time seeing how this man would ever be forced out of the Bronx. I, I know Yankee fans are clamoring for it. They're begging for change, and I think there should be change. I just don't know if the change is ever going to come in the near future out of that office. I agree. And you know what? That is, again, another problem with the with the Yankees of today because the Steinbrenners are not looking to change their ways. The only yeah. thing that they are looking to do is very simple, is lower that salary cap number or soft cap, if you will, or salary number, whatever, whatever we want to call it, soft cap. <laughs> Guys, let's keep moving forward here and let's look more towards a positive mindset here. Uh, the All-Star starters for the uh, 2021 MLB All-Star game was revealed on Thursday evening. The full roster was revealed last night. Uh, there's some overachievers. There's some snubs, and I can think of one right off the top of my head. Uh, but we'll wait, uh, you know, last for that one. I want to start off with Mike here because we got to see a ton of, um, you know, first-timers, which was pretty cool stuff. I, I think the, the biggest, the, the, the cool one to me, uh, was to see Adam Frazier uh, become the uh, you know the starting second baseman in the National League. And again, for those that don't know or don't remember, just a few years ago, we are in, I believe, year three or year two or three of the All-Star game not counting. And I was a big advocate of the – I was a big opposer uh, of the All-Star game moving into that format because it reminded me a lot of the Pro Bowl, the National Hockey League All-Star game, as well as the NBA All-Star game. No one cared about it. And there were good – ramifications of this all-star game. It was a good game to watch at times. Why? Because the winner of that received uh, um, a home field advantage in the World Series. It was the coolest thing. National League were to win. They never did win in, in my lifetime. Um, but again, the American League would always have have uh, have home field advantage. Uh, Mike, let's start with you here. Do you see any snubs or overachievers? Or how did you think that the field looked? Well, I think the Mets fans will have the biggest issue right away in that John Walker wasn't on there, that he had a, a couple of Mets pitchers that, that weren't on there. That honestly should have been. I believe Walker was um, a snub. I'm just trying to remember the uh, the You roster. took my pick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Mets fans are going to have a lot of issues with this uh with this pick and the one surefire guy, of course, being Jacob DeGrom smartly, in my opinion, decided to pull out because he's been dealing with, I don't know, shoulder issues or whatnot. He's been a little off lately. So I think that is smart of him, but I think the Mets are the ones who probably will feel the biggest of, of snubs. Cause I think it's kind of flown more under the radar, not here in New York, but it's, 
it seems like it's flown more under the radar nationally of, of how they've been doing, and especially their pitchers, how they've been doing, just because their division is kind of all over the place. But I, I think that's the biggest snub from there, the Mets pitchers. There. I think the biggest one, and I just want to just say this one thing here, was, was that my biggest overachiever, and for the Yankees fans that are out there, might turn this off, even though I am wearing a Yankees chain because I'm a diehard Yankees fan. Araldis Chapman, <laughs> Chapman being selected to the All-Star game is the biggest crock of you-know-what because with what we have seen him do, and let's keep in mind, folks, for those that don't know, the pitchers are all selected by the commissioner's office. That is the best part about this entire thing. The starters, the reserves, the, the batters are selected by the fans. The pitchers are selected by the commissioner's office, and Araldis Chapman is on that list. It grinds my gears so much to see Araldis Chapman on this list when Walker Bueller is not on this list. Oh, gosh, yeah. That grinds my gears, and you know what? That sums up today's Major League Baseball, how much of a disaster Rob Manfred's tenure has been since Bud Selig retired. Ian Schreier, I'm sorry, had to say that because that really – Grinded my gears. And on top of it, I believe he's right now uh, in, in today's game. Uh, Ten strikeouts for Walker Bueller. Well, to quote our good friend Rob DeLuca, he had said to us earlier today that the All-Star game now is and, and, and it has reverted that way back to name power. Uh, um, you know, now that the fact that the game, as you had said, Joey, no longer has meaning, it gives more of an a the reason for Major League Baseball to tailor the game the way they want to see it and the, and the star power and the names that they want to see be playing in the All-Star game. So, Although Aroldis Chapman, I think it was, converted his first 11 save opportunities, and I think over his last 10 appearances, his ERA is somewhere north of 20. Uh, I, I saw that yesterday on the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast. I, I couldn't believe it. But, um, yeah, Tywon Walker is, to me, a, a huge omission at, off there. I mean, I, I'm a little on the fence about Stroman. Um, he, you know, he did get out to a real hot start this season. He's he's tapered off a little bit the last month. Um, it's hard to argue against Edwin Diaz, considering what Mets fans have seen from him. But this year, he's been... Uh, he's perfect, I think, or maybe he's blown only one save. He's been cl close to perfect, if not perfect, um, on save opportunities this year. But I completely understand why they omitted him. Um, another name that uh, that that's a glaring omission to me right now is the fact that the Houston Astros are twenty games over five hundred, and Yuli Gurriel is not on the All Star, not even an All Star reserve at this point. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about a team that everyone was pushing all their chips in. Now that they have no more garbage cans, no more ways to cheat, this team is going to fall off a cliff. And look. The, the Astros are. I think that's why he was snubbed, probably. It's very possible. Again, it all comes back to politics anyway. But I mean, the guy's hitting 320 um, with, I think, it's 10 home runs and 31 RBIs. I mean, the, the home run and RBI numbers aren't great. But like, look, when you've got guys like Altuve and Correa and Brantley in your lineup every single day, you don't need Yuli Gurriel to be going deep every day. Right. Um, in regards to overachievers, Joey, I think a name that stands out to me as much as I would like to see him in a Mets uniform is JT Realmuto. Oh, yeah. Um, un unfortunately, I mean, his numbers are definitely way down from, from, I think where the Phillies expect him to be. I think he's hitting somewhere in the two fifties, two sixties when he's more of a 280 to 300 type hitter. Yes. Um, but the problem is, is Buster Posey starting the all-star game. Will Smith deserves a spot, but the problem is because Posey starting the all-star game, they weren't going to take, um, or at least those that voted Posey weren't also going to vote a second catcher 
um, into the All-Star game from the same team. So that's why, in my opinion, they probably went Real Muto just based on um, what, you know, what type of catcher is when you think National League, he's one of the top, if not the top catcher um, coming, at least entering the season in the National League. To me, also, one final part in this, um, as much as it hurts me to say this, and uh, Mike Zabo might, you know, X out of this, uh, say uh, X out of our studio if I say this, but uh, I have to give credit where credit is due here. And the Boston Red Sox, I mean, listen, they were not projected to be where they are today. 80 wins. Uh, I mean, it's they were projected to be under 500 this year yeah, yeah. and to see Matt Barnes, Zegger, uh, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, uh, Nathan Eovaldi. Oh, the Yankees missed that name. Uh, and JD <laughs> Martinez. Listen, those, those five, I mean, they, they have, first off the Boston Red Sox have the most in terms of from one team, five players right below them, the Toronto blue Jays with four. Obviously, with by looking at by looking here was was that Barnes, Ivaldi, those two were selected by the commissioner's office. The other three they were voted in, and we know how Boston faithful is. Uh, the Blue Jays, all four of them: Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, and Teoscar Hernandez, all were voted in by the fans. All good stuff. Uh, and again, you want to talk about underachievers? Blue Jays overachievers in terms of the Red Sox, though, um, I, I think that they are in terms of the All-Star game. Do I believe that Teoscar Hernandez uh, should be in the All-Star game? Yeah. But then again, he was also struggling like mightily in the last, I'd say, down the stretch. Last few weeks, he's been struggling mightily where they had to trade for Corey Dickerson because they kind of need to give him a little boost and a kick him in the butt to try and, you know, get hot. Um. In terms of the all-star game, fellas, one final thought. Let's go to Mike Zabo. Um, what you know, I mean, listen, no one cares about the all-star game anymore. Home run derby, no one really cares about either. It's it's unfortunate. Well, the perception with the home run derby over the years, especially now with the new format of the all-star game, is that it messes up batter swing. So yes. especially some of the bigger guys like when Judge won it in 2017, I think he pretty much said after that, or it was in 2018 when he pretty much said that, you know, he wouldn't want to do it again because, you know, he felt the mess messed him up or he just it wasn't worth it or whatnot. And no matter what the Yankees are doing, you know, Aaron Judge is still hitting well enough and hitting home runs well enough that in a perfect world, Major League Baseball would always want to have him at the home run derby. And, you know, that he's just, they're just not going to want to do it, a, a lot of these star players. Who knows? Yeah. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to be, you know, a one star that's there that they'd love to have there. But, you know, how long are some of these players that you can think of being in the home run derby are going to want to participate in it because they'll think, oh, no, I don't want to, you know, screw up in the second half of the year where everything starts, you know, you know, coming, you know, your business end of the season starts coming around making the playoffs and whatnot, you know, they don't want to risk anything. Um, the all-star game, I mean, it's a shame. I'm with you, Joey. I, I always loved the fact that there was something on the line with the with the all-star game. It's, it was different than everything else. I always had the people that told me, oh, well, then it was not fair for the other team because they right. didn't say whether it was home field advantage, how's that fair or whatnot. But, you know, at the same time, like, it, it just – What's the point of the All Star Game then, and especially what 
is the point of the all-star game than if your player gets injured? I mean, it's the conversation we have with other sports, whether it's the NBA, the NHL, or whatnot. If you get injured, you know, now what is the point? At least with Major League Baseball, look, the fact is... You've got something to play for. You've got something to play for. And on top of it, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you also have a reason for players not to opt out, like in the NBA. Like, And look, look at what the Pro Bowl has gotten to. The Pro Bowl, ever since it was in Aloha Stadium in Honolulu, and even then, it was an absolute disaster. Yes, they tried it when I was maybe 10 or 15 years old. And then after that, it is a legitimate joke now. Now they've got these competitions. They've got whatever. And I and I hate to say it, but Major League Baseball, the way that the trajectory that this that this organization is going, this league is is going down with no more sticky stuff, with the All Star Game being voted in with with votes and and different things going on here. If they were to change anything else, maybe any you know different you know competitions or anything along those lines, then honestly. Pack it up, Major League Baseball, because as we've already said, and I know I said this to Ian Trier and Rob DeLuca last week in person when they were sitting two feet to my left and right, Major League Baseball is dying. There's no reason for for it to continue on that on that downward spiral. Continue, Mike. Well, yeah, they're doing a lot of stuff that that's a lot of uh, money grabs, and they they recognize that certain things are dying about the game, and they want to increase the pace of play, and then. But then as soon as they want to increase the pace of play, now they're doing all this substance stuff that only slows things down. So there's a lot of, a, a, a lot of double standards and you know, hypocritical stuff that's going on with them. But um, as much as it is dying so far, the baseball viewership this year is actually not that bad. It's the most uh, viewership they've had in the last 25 years. So um, it's not completely dying yet, but there are parts of the game that a lot of people don't like. And the All-Star game is the biggest one. I mean, it's a huge money grab. People will go there. I don't really know if you're going for the game specifically. You're going for the experience, which is ultimately what MLB wants. But it just takes away from what it used to be and in the, the old format it used to be. Because the funny thing is, like, the two two teams that will make the World Series will probably, during that season, have multiple All-Stars. They're usually the teams that you'd expect to get there or whatnot, and they'll usually have multiple All-Stars. So you'd look at it in, in October and say, well, whoever was, had has the home team advantage, some of those players may have been in the All-Star game and played a part in that, and that obviously can swing the World Series, who has home field advantage or whatnot. So I think that part is a shame about the All-Star game. It used to be something that got hyped up a lot. You'd always, Even if you weren't a baseball fan, you would always hear about it on the evening news because it was just a different all-star game. It was it was so much more competitive. Now it's just like, uh, whatever about it. And it really is just a shame. Right. And you know what? Back in 2013, I was at that all-star game at City Field. Mariano Rivera's final all-star game. He got the standing ovation. He got he got Enter Sandman played in City Field, and I'm sure that definitely uh, put a, a, a a knife through Ian Schreier as well as no, the it didn't. The, the, I, the was stand, I was standing, I was standing with everybody else. That's fair. That's fair. I was I, Mo got a standing ovation from every Met fan in that in that building. Yeah, because they knew he was going to be gone, and we won't have to deal with them. <laughs> that, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's definitely fair. But 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 in all seriousness, no, you know, to pay, to pay lots of money to see certain things like that, especially you know, an extravaganza weekend, you know, where you've got the celebrity all star game 
uh, or, or the celebrity softball game. You got the futures game. Uh, you've got home run derby, and really, it was an it was a great weekend. I, I'll never forget it. And, and you know, to, to go to the whole package, it was it, it was it was a, a dream come true. It was a blessing. It really was. Uh, but again, to see all of that, and that counted as well. In 2013, that counted, uh, which was which was great. Now it's just it's it, it's difficult to uh, you know pay a lot of money for for me anyway to uh, to go to. But also uh, one final thought here: Cedric Mullins, Baltimore Orioles, phenomenal player, and he's also a rookie as well. So really, kudos to him on getting his All Star nod uh, in his rookie season. Really good stuff. And you know what? The Baltimore Orioles need some positive reinforcement and glad that they got that. So really good stuff there. Uh, guys, in about 20 minutes, the uh, T- Tampa Bay Lightning are looking to take that 3-0 lead and look to sweep the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, that comes your way 8 o'clock NBC. Um, guys, I mean, you know, you look at you, you, you look at game four, which, um, you know, you, you've continuously seen what Tampa Bay has done. And we don't want to say this, but it's the truth. 18 million over the salary cap. They're, they're, they're just, they are absolutely dominating the Montreal Canadians from top to bottom. And, and unfortunately, Carey Price is really out there left to, to really take the brunt of it. Um, a lot of th- this team is young. This team is up and coming, but something that Rob DeLuca actually brought up too, um, our long lost uh, third host here um, is that, when the the divisions go back next year, Montreal is going to be one of those teams that are way down looking up and saying, hey, you know, we're still down here. But can they compete with the big boys? Does Tampa Bay sweep Montreal tonight? Mike Zabo, what do you think? Uh, I'd probably say no. I think they probably get one game just because the fact that sweeps in the Stanley Cup finals don't usually happen that often. So I would bet probably... Just, you know, if my money was on it, just bet Montreal to win one game and then Tampa right. wraps it up in game five. But I wouldn't be surprised if they if they do it tonight. Tampa is just a much more experienced team. They're just better on all facets. And maybe Montreal, they, they overachieved this year. The young team is coming, but they're just not quite there yet. Ian Schreier. Uh it's hard not to think that they're going to lock up a sweep, but I do love the mayor of Tampa asking the Lightning to actually forego tonight's game four so they can come back to Amelie Arena and uh, win game five and hoist the cup um, on their home ice instead of uh, since they didn't get that opportunity last year since it was up in the bubble in Edmonton. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, Mike hit on all the points there that really needs to be said. I think it's pretty cut and dry in regards to what we've seen in the first three games of this series. And I think last week on our live show, I expected the Montreal Canadiens to come out and respond in game two. And they did come out and respond. They outshot the lightning 43 to 23 and lost the game three to one. Um, So I think if if, if that does not tally up to you, when maybe the offense for Tampa Bay is just having a more quiet night, maybe than Montreal, Andre Vasilevsky is tall to the task and makes this makes every save except for one. Um, So I, you know, I thought, in game three, uh, after that flat start by Montreal playing their first home game, um, excuse me, playing their first Stanley Cup final at home in the, for the, in the better part of 30 years to come out as flat as they did the first 10 minutes um, and go down to nothing. And then Dano scores that goal, that snipe. Um, I think it was about more than halfway through the period. And then Caulfield rings one off the pipe. You think that all of a sudden things are going to turn. And then what does Tampa Bay do to start the second? They 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 tack on two more in the first five minutes. So, um, I no, I I don't know if uh you know my gut tells me Tampa Bay will sweep, 
um, at this point, just because I think Montreal is just running on fumes and uh, Tampa Bay. I, is there really any pressure on Tampa Bay at this point to close out the series? They've been the better team uh, basically the entire postseason for the better part of all, all three of these games. So uh, whether or not they take game four, we'll see tonight. Um, I I'm not really going to predict what's going to happen there just because the series has led me to believe it would be a sweep. But if, hey, if they forego it um, and end up winning the cup at Amelie Arena, I know the mayor will be happy. And also the last time that we have seen a Stanley Cup hoisted on home ice, 2015, the Chicago Blackhawks taking wow. down the Tampa Bay Lightning by a score of 2 nothing wow. at United Center. That was the last time that we saw a home team hoist that because right after we had Pittsburgh in San Jose, Pittsburgh in Nashville. And the series goes on and the rest of the way goes on. Um, and then we saw a couple of years ago, we got, and, and really, if you think about it, last year in game six, when Tampa Bay took down Dallas, Dallas was the home team. They were wearing their white jerseys. We have not seen a dark colored uniform hoist, a, hoist the Stanley Cup since 2015. That's something else too, for those, for those superstitious fans out there with the uniforms <laughs> and, the, and the jerseys, but it, it is pretty cool. And we, and we, we can thank our good friends at, uh, at, at, uh, NHL.com for that. Um, for that little uh, tidbit of information there. So, uh, so Mike, you think that Montreal will take, uh, will, will be able to take game four and then game five, uh, you know, well, I guess we'll just say, we'll just stick to our game four prediction. Ian, what do you think here? I mean, Montreal's got no Yasperi Kakeniemi tonight. Uh, so they're losing a key player, uh, you know, in their bottom six. Uh my gut's telling me Tampa, so I'm going to stick with Tampa here. It's, it's just been – I don't want to call it a boring Stanley Cup final. I think this is just kind of to be expected. Oh, it's been it, boring. Yeah, I think if the Canadians stole you know, stole game two after out-shooting the Lightning by 20 shots, maybe we're, we're you know we're speaking a different you know tune because I think all three of us last week in Atlantic City predicted the Lightning in six. I'm not, I don't even think it's getting to that. I mean, no. at this point it's, it's, it's the lightning or, I mean, uh, sure. If you want me, if you want a prediction for me, I'll say the lightning sweep it tonight in four. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. I, I, I would say that Montreal um, is not going to be able to even win a game. Uh, they are so outmatched. Uh, sure. Do I think that they've got a good, um, a good future ahead? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I think Nick Suzuki uh, you have to you have to maximize his entry level contract. You have to get as many players around him as possible and just continue to build around him. There's a lot of stuff to be discussed on our free agent frenzy recap show that will come your way on Thursday, July 29th. Uh, the start time of that is to be determined just yet. But all I could tell you is is that the three of us, most likely Mike, I'm I'm hoping Mike. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll invite you now. <laughs> but <laughs> I was going to tell you anyway. But here, might as well tell you now. You don't um, want to know Mike what he told me backstage about having you on. No, 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 no. You were on the list anyway. That's why I'm saying it regardless. <laughs> but July 29th, which is Thursday, time is still to be determined on our recap show uh, for NHL Free Agent Frenzy. And as for for all those that know. Uh, the primetime rundown, the Eastern Observer, uh, we all love the NHL. And Free Agent Frenzy is the biggest time of the year for us. It is kind of, you know, it's kind of the new year. Uh, just like how Dennis Bernstein and DB told us uh, last year, it said uh, that he told us last July, I believe it was, that it is just like Christmas. It is Christmas in the summer. 
when hockey was restarted, when the return to play format commenced. So all good stuff coming up ahead when we finally are, you know, we return to normal about a month behind in terms of uh, free agent frenzy, but it's going to be a fun one. July 29th right here on the Asian Observer. Guys, let's keep moving forward here. Uh, not much to talk about uh, in the NHL because obviously we're going to have our free agency show and also the expansion draft show. We're going to have a whole bunch of that uh, coming your way uh, in the next couple of weeks. But be sure to keep uh, on our or keep keep in touch or really just stay focused or stay tuned rather. That is the best way to put it uh, to our social media at the Eastern Observer. Uh, on Instagram, as well as at Observe Eastern on Twitter. Be sure by uh, to look all the way on the bottom, just below Mike, where the ticker has all of our information, uh, individual as well as uh, the, the station's uh, information as well. Guys, let's keep moving forward here. The NBA, some really cool stuff here. The Phoenix Suns will be taking on uh, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, starting on Tuesday. We don't normally talk about the NBA here, but this is a really, really good story uh, to discuss where Chris Chris Paul, uh, or otherwise known to most CP3, uh, is heading to his first ever NBA Finals. And the cool part is, is that, and this is the, the feel-good story part, is that his head coach in Monty Williams was his coach when he first started in the NBA back in 2003. My goodness, that was some, first off, a long time ago, number one, nearly 20 years ago. And on top of it, he gets to start off his career with Monty. And who knows? We'll see if he can maybe go out on top. I don't expect that because I think he's still got some money left in the, uh, in, in, in his contract. But the bottom line is, is that it's come full circle and now he's out in the Valley. Talk about the good, the, the, uh, the feel good story Ian Schreier. What do we think? Well, he does have the option to uh, to walk away, actually, at the end of this year. There's even some rumors circulating that uh, he could be a go New York, go New York, go. <laughs> He'd be the, uh, the missing point guard, uh, the missing pu- piece of the puzzle for the Knicks. Um, but, uh, I mean, you don't want to hand the Suns the uh, the NBA trophy? Sure, I'll do it. Um, I'm not – I'm kind of expecting that series to be about just as boring as the, the NHL Stanley Cup final is. Um, I – I don't want to call the Bucks a one-trick pony, but I think that we saw what you know the Bucks were able to do against the Hawks once Trey Young got hurt. Um, you know, in my opinion, they they are a one-trick pony with Giannis, um, and the Suns can just beat you so many different ways. Um, and 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 that's even just taking away CP3 and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and so on and so forth. And you go down the list. That the the, the, um, the Suns are better coached. They're better. They're more. They're deeper. They're just overall a better team. And when you look at the route that they took um, to get to the NBA Finals and how well they did it, um, you know, taking down the Clippers in, in, in the style that they did as well, um, there's no reason to think that this series should be. I mean, look, I, I'd say the ceiling for this series is six games. I'm not gonna. I won't say a sweep, but I would say five or six games. Phoenix. Mike, your thoughts? I second that. I, I say Phoenix and five. Um, I think they're just an extremely deep team. I think the Bucks, without Giannis, whatever his injury status is, it just it was already going to be a tough series with Giannis, and most people are probably picking the Suns even with Giannis. But uh, now without him, I don't think Middleton's going to have enough uh, holiday. I don't think they'll be able to carry uh, the entire load um, by themselves. They got a, a lot of good players around there. You got Pat Covington, a lot of good role players. Bobby Portis can can chip in some points here and there, but um, without having Giannis in there, 
Giannis and Middleton, that duo, that partnership that on their best night can give you 35 each. It's just, I think the Suns are just completely outmatched them. They're, they're such a deep team. Like Ian said, they can hurt you so many ways. Um, they can play so many different uh, ways in order to get a win. Uh, I, I, it's just destiny for them. They're going to win this championship. It's going away. <laughs> going it's away. Because not too long ago, CP3 was this guy that was like, you know, how we talk about with the Yankees and Giancarlo Stanton, he was, that, he was this guy that was like turning into a burden. You know, 30-plus-year-old, yeah, he's a great guy, still can be able to play a little bit, but the con- contract is monstrous for anybody to take a, a bet on and whatnot, and nobody's, you know, he's just destined to be this guy that, like, Somebody would, if somebody were to take him on, it's because of a salary relief deal or whatnot. And all of a sudden, he winds up with Phoenix. And I mean, he was at one point in the MVP conversation, and now he's going to uh, his first finals. It's it's extraordinary. It's I I find it amazing, honestly. And I think to me, the cool part is is that for the Big East fans that watch our show as well. Uh, Mike knows exactly what I'm going to say, but Mikhail Bridges uh, is, is one of the starters on uh, on Phoenix. And for him to be chasing roughly about two to three years out of college at Villanova, I remember when we were, you know, when, when, when we would be sitting down with him, we were chatting with him in the locker rooms, uh, you know, when he was when he was a wildcat. Uh, during you know during our WSJU days at St. John's, really cool stuff to see him now going out to chase that ring. And for that reason alone, um, aside from Chris Paul, obviously the number two reason for me uh, to root on the Phoenix Suns is because of Mikael Bridges. Is because we were able to chat with him years ago, and it just shows again how these basketball players at one point were college basketball players. They were children, but they're also human beings as well. And they're really going out there and they're really going out uh, to chase something that they have been dreaming about and working so hard to eventually get to and to get and climb out, uh, climb Mount Everest and eventually get there. And they are so close to getting to the peak of Mount Everest uh, in terms of the NBA finals. Really amazing stuff uh, to see that. Um, but also going back to what the Milwaukee Bucks are all about, the biggest thing to me is is no Giannis. Uh, and and if that doesn't happen, if he's if his presence is not there, it's going to be a one two three game, uh, and it's or rather one through four. Uh, I, do I think that there will be a sweep? I think Milwaukee will be able to take one uh, in in uh, in Pfizer form, but that's that that's really about it. Um, there's not much really else to um, to discuss there uh, in terms of. Uh, the Suns or the Bucks, and, and you know we've heard this continuously. Also, we've heard Bucks and Six. We've we've also <laughs> heard someone uh, on on Twitter, someone that I follow, uh, a, a really a really cool girl that I know uh, who works at the NBA. Uh, she was talking about uh, how actually I'll I'll quote her, uh, Jenny Fisher. Uh, really good people, um, and she she works for the NBA. She works for the WNBA as well. And uh, I believe she was discussing something about uh, about Brandon Jennings, how he told her Bucks and Six or something along those lines, and that and that actually started trending. Her tweet started trending, um, where Brandon Jennings had told her Bucks and Six at at some points, and uh, she believes that 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 could possibly happen here now uh, to see her her uh, her lifelong dream of of having the Milwaukee Bucks 
uh, hoist a uh, an NBA championship. I mean, yeah, that would be pretty cool. But I mean, again, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Jenny. I, I don't I don't think it happens this year. Um, maybe down the road, but definitely not this year. Probably cool to see your team wear the uh, the finals patch on the uh, on on the collar, but that's that 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 that. that they they, they need another big player alongside Giannis at this point for Milwaukee. I mean, I'm, look, I'm happy uh, for the Bucks and uh, being in the NBA Finals, but uh, when it comes right down to it, I, they need another big piece to be playing alongside Giannis, whether that be a point guard or uh, someone at the top of the key that can knock down shots. Um, you know, and let Giannis just stand in the post and dominate where he where he's used to dominating. Uh, I, I, until that happens, I'm not so sure Milwaukee is a is, is a title winning town yet. But I think they're they're close. Yeah, and 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 I want to just I just want to quote that tweet exactly. Uh, quote: Brandon Jennings first said Bucks and six back in 2013 to me. Since he uttered such a phrase, the Bucks have failed to win a series in six games. Hasn't been done once since he said it. That is until tonight. That was when the Bucks obviously beat the Hawks. Uh, when the Milwaukee Bucks will reach the NBA Finals, so we'll see if that happens again. I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll definitely see uh, what the deal is. Uh, Bobby Blackjack, uh, Seton Hall legend, Mark Bryant is an assistant coach for Phoenix. Go Suns! There you go. So you see, uh, there are so many, so many uh, reasons to root for uh, for Phoenix as well, and also too. Uh, the last time that we saw Arizona or Phoenix do anything in terms of the sports world was 2009 or 10 in that range when the Arizona Cardinals uh, were were about that close uh, to winning a Super Bowl. But unfortunately, yes, Antonio San- Holmes. I was, right. was going to say, unfortunately, <laughs> Antonio Holmes, New York Jets legend, Antonio Holmes. Uh, was the uh, you know the the suspect of, uh, of of that of that happening? Uh, so really really crazy stuff there with. Um, and I also picture the, the uh, uh, I think what was it the NFC Wild Card game or the NFC Divisional game the uh, Carlos Dansby pick six against yes. Green Bay a exactly. couple of years later right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So really say say really 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 crazy stuff there in terms of Arizona, but the Diamondbacks haven't been able to do anything. The Coyotes have not been able to do anything. Uh, and now, and, and the Cardinals really are, you know, they're, they're out there, um, you know, on their way up and the Suns are right there. And we said it when, uh, when Deandre Eaton was, uh, was drafted just a few years ago, Mikhail Bridges was drafted a few years ago. Devin Booker is now again, the, the silent assassin, Chris Paul is there. And honestly, just like what Mike Zabo did say earlier about Chris Paul being that, you know, that guy who was really a nuisance and a burden to many, you know, uh, uh to many checkbooks, uh, around the NBA, uh, we thought on, and, and I'll be honest with you. I thought personally that he was going to be another nuisance to someone's checkbook where it would just be, okay, you know, we're sending his salary over here, just pay him, let him do whatever. And now he is actually leading the charge. He is leading the charge in Phoenix. Really crazy stuff there. Um, you know, good stuff there, uh, for the Phoenix suns guys, let's keep moving forward here. We brought up about, uh, Mikhail Bridges just a few moments ago in terms of the Big East. But for those that are watching that are St. John's fans, and I see Mike Zabo is <laughs> smiling with a big smile here because going into his senior season at WSJU, he is going to be able to say the name Julian Champagny once more. Oh, wait, for those that do not know, Julian Champagny is coming back to Queens, and he is coming back to the corner of Utopia and Union. Really crazy stuff going to be playing in his junior season. And, uh, Mike, I want to start with you. You are a Storm the Paint uh, contributor 
and you know all about this men's basketball team. Talk about what you thought of the immediate reaction when you saw that Instagram post from Julian Champagny because we kept seeing he was accepting workouts here. He was accepting workouts here. And things were getting awfully close to that July 7th deadline. Well, fans have been patiently waiting for it all summer. We've seen all the news about the transfer. Yeah, my nails say otherwise. Yeah, I'm kidding. And, and, all, and all that stuff. We've seen a lot of transfers come in, but this is what all St. John's fans were waiting for this offseason, the decision of Julian Champagny. And, and last night, honestly, I saw somebody on Twitter, some you know random St. John's fan, say like on Friday night, literally say how great it would be for Julian to announce on July 4th that he's coming back. And that did wind up to, to come true. So I thought that was cool. But I, I, I honestly was, it was, what was it, nine o'clock last, uh, last night or something? Yeah. I was literally just, you know, going on to Instagram, you know, about to see all my friends, what they're doing July 4th, with all the fireworks. And then all of a sudden, run it back comes up with Julian Champagny. And listen, Honestly, I think everybody with St. John's would uh, would agree. I think most people would, uh, if you're rational enough, would support whatever he would want to do. For sure. Uh, wh whether he'd want to go to the NBA or whether he'd want to come back to St. John's. But, I mean, come on. For a St. John's fan, you, you know, you feel a little bit. Uh, there was a lot of delight in that. I saw that post. I immediately went nuts because... You know, I have a little bit of a different connection, and you know, not just a fan, you know, write articles about them, I call them. So, you know, I have a little bit of stake in it. So I think it's really great that, you know, he'll be around. Um, it's great for the team, of course. Um, you know, and he, we heard what some of the stuff that he talked about in terms of the feedback um, he got, and I'm sure that's going to help him uh, this year. One of the big things was that uh, he said that COVID really hurt his uh, – may have hurt his draft stock because uh, scouts weren't able to see him um, in person. Um, there was, a, you know, there's certainly a lot of NBA interest. And I think maybe that was a, a, a huge difference into whether he was going um, or not, because I believe really the consensus, if he wasn't going to get uh, drafted in the top 40 that he was going to come back, which is, as yeah. we found out last night, is what ultimately happened. Um, so I think that was the conversation. I think there's a lot of NBA interest for him. A lot of, uh, he believe it was a quote in the article in ESPN that um, a lot of NBA teams say next year in, in the draft, you know, someone like him in his position will be a priority for him. Um, but I, I think it's great if he goes out and has another season that he just, you know, had this past year. If he puts up similar numbers, I think he's a surefire uh, first round pick. And honestly, this team now with him back for St. John's, they're set up for probably their best year since I've been alive um, yes. in, in the past 20 years. You know, this is they've had, you know, a few NCAA tournament teams here and there that were a flash in the pan. You think back to 2011, 2015, maybe 2018, if you want to count that, making the first four. Nice. Um, but they haven't, you know, it wasn't really a consistently good team those years. They were up and down in conference play or whatnot, um, this feels like a team that will be totally different. They'll be up in the standings. They'll be the one that's favored more times. And a lot of people will not only favor them to get to the big dance, but also break the drought of NCAA tournament wins for St. John's and finally get that first one uh, since 2000. I think the team is, with him coming back, obviously his stats speak for himself, but also – 
adds to the size that they currently have. This is really the deepest team that St. John's has had since those uh, 90s, uh, 2000s run. And the hype is building in Queens, and rightfully so. There's going to be a lot of expectation. And I think the only reason why people will probably, um, when I mean people, I mean uh, those making the preseason poll and a lot of um, a lot of people making articles or whatnot and predicting what's going to happen, I think the only reason why any shade gets thrown in the preseason uh, talk is because there are so many new players on the team. Oh, yeah. And honestly, with the more normal preseason compared to last year, with the more normal non-conference year, and we know how good of a coach Mike Anderson is, this is a top three team in the Big East. No, There's no wow. doubt. The, this is a top three team. People who – I feel like saying top five Slow is – Slow down there. Slow down there. Top three. If you weren't going to – if you weren't going to, Mike. Joey, I was. Mike. <laughs> Mike. Oh, good Lord. Mike. That's... Mike. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Listen, back in 2018, I'm going to tell you this. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but back in 2018, I remember when, when Mustafa Heron had committed to St. John's after he transferred from – uh, from Auburn, okay. Uh, he transferred transferred to St. John's from Auburn, and this team was supposed to be one of the best offensive teams in the entire Big East. And then comes out, we start seeing the non-conference schedule, hmm. and and Ian knows all about with who we saw. We got to see the NEC. We got to see the St. Francis Brooklyn Terriers. We got to see the Wagner College Seahawks, Sacred Heart Pioneers. The list goes on, and St. John's went 12-0. and And then what happened after that? Then they went two and however much in the in, con- in conference play. They went, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was, uh, or not two, I think they won maybe four or five games in conference play, and they were slowly just dropping, dropping and dropping and dropping, and they literally crawled, crawled into the first four. Yep, it was an absolute disaster. And Jamari Pons played one of his worst games. Worst Mm -hmm. games towards the end. Yes, in the first four, he was the only one that was able to do well. Mustafa Heron couldn't do anything. Marvin Clark was unable to do anything. And Justin Simon, he you can only do so much. And that was back in 2018, of course. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to bring up Mike's point about having a brand new roster, the complete turnover, and what the NCAA has done as well. We have seen obviously the free agency type uh, type deal in the NCAA now, where everyone now there is no transfer rule. Everyone is free to choose wherever they want to go. They can they can go into the transfer portal with no repercussions, where they do not have to sit out one year and they are able to just go here to here and play. Three players, three, one, two, three players: Posh Alexander, Julian Champagny. Dylan Adaiwusu, those three will be returning to Queens. How many newcomers do we have? One, Aaron Wheeler, Steph Smith, two, Omar Stanley, three, Joel Soriano, four, Montez Mathis, five, Raphael Pinson, who, mind you, is a freshman. Uh, You know, you look at these players and you say to yourself that, yes, it is a phenomenal team. I can't call them a top three team yet, and it scares me. Because, yes, I want to smile, Mike. I want to smile, and I want to say, yes, this is the year. This is the year. It hurts because you look and you say to yourself, Villanova, 
Xavier, UConn. And, mind you, let's not forget, Seton Hall always has our number. It is true. If I had to pick, if I had to pick top three right now, I'd go Villanova, UConn, and probably Creighton top three. And then you, you have to also at this point consider the defending Big East champions. They're uh, they have a Georgetown has a solid recruiting class coming in. Keep in mind, Zagorowski's gone. Yeah, I know, but it, somehow Creighton always finds a way to reload, and I think it's hard to when you're looking at the preseason polls when the coaches are voting, it's hard to even count out. Creighton as a top five team. Um, I, to me, the biggest the biggest telling point for St. John's to to and 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 I would be happy to see Mike's prediction come true as well. Um, is I how are they going? How are I they would cry of joy if that <laughs> is how are they going to do against the middle of the pack teams? That's that's yeah. my concern. Um, I do can not they expect. One, can they win one at Hinkle Fieldhouse? Probably not. <laughs> I'm telling. Um, I think this is the team that's going to break a a a lot of those those records in terms of the curse at Hinkle, um, or whatnot. I'll let Ian finish uh, before I explain why. No, that, that's fine, and and I appreciate that, Mike. I mean, they've got to. I, I'm not. Ex- you got to expect bounce back years from Butler, Marquette, and Xavier. Um, the, the I mean, the fact that Butler and Marquette were as bad as they were last year. I mean, that in terms of his history in the Big East, what really set a record for both those uh, schools in terms of futility in men's basketball in the Big East. Um, Xavier was up and down. Um, look, Georgetown's going to be better. Um, Seton Hall, I mean, Willard's got a, got a nice class coming in. It's hard to argue what he has coming in, even with Mamu gone. Um, it's it, it's tough with St. John's just because I like that I have my top three. I, I, I think I, I mean I look I think they're I think they they're they're top five top six. Do I think they are a deeper and stronger team? Yes, a hundred percent. I mean I think getting Julian back is huge. Uh, you keep that th- that big three intact um, with you know and keeping big three. Two of them are sophomores, um, mind you. Um, with with you know with Posh and Dylan, and then you add in a whole list of transfers. I mean when you compare and you look at the Marcellus Erlingtons and the Josh Roberts and, you know, and the Vince Dunn's and, and you go down the list of the team from last year. And I then you, it, yeah. you know, and then you look at guys now like Montez Mathis, who was a big name at Rutgers. You look at Tariq Coburn, who was averaging double figures at Hofstra. Um, Steph Smith was a two-time all America East player at Vermont. Yeah. And then you got a guy like Aaron Wheeler who actually, you know, supplied significant minutes at Purdue. But the problem was, is because Travion Williams is there, the guy gets no playing time. Right. So, I, yeah, I think they are a top half team in the Big East, if not top five, top six right now. They've got a lot to prove. You have the three there to keep that chemistry alive. The question is, can St. John's finally, and I'm gonna. this is going to kind of lead into your point, Mike, mm-hmm. is can St. John's finally lift the curse of being able to just, you know, not drop that horrible game at Butler, not lose a game to DePaul. Like, can they, like, before they start contending against the Novas, who they beat last year, the Novas, the Creightons, the Yukons, who just came back, can they first compete against the Marquettes, the the Halls, the Butlers, and the Xaviers? That's my that's my concern with St. John's. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, the why I think they'll be, they could be so high is the fact that, I mean, they did finish fourth last year. Yes, everybody, a lot of the teams are going to, improve in the conference teams who weren't as good last year as you mentioned will probably do better but they finished fourth last year and the team is much better than 
Um, the team, you look at the roster now as how it's constructed. It's a lot better than 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 it was last year. I don't know if it's a stretch to say if they can hit four, four again or if they could even do better. I think UConn, I think they got a lot of questions in terms of their offense. I think they're a very good defensive team. That's where their identity has always been and what it's going to be. But I think points is going to be a little bit um, – at least in the, the beginning of the season, questions are going to be brought up uh, of where the points are going to come from. You do have R.J. Cole there. You do expect um, some guys to take a, a jump in Adama Sinogo. And what, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. You expect those guys, some of those guys to take a jump. But now without James Booknight, I think they do. you do question a little bit where the offense um, is coming. Uh, Seton Hall, obviously, you think will improve because, you know, un, up until – this past year, Kevin Willard had a four four year NCAA tournament streak going. He's going to be a little hungry to get that streak back up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, Nova is always that's not even contention. It's Nova's conference to lose. Um, Providence they did get their guy a, a lot of their guys back. Um, they have um, why am I blanking on his name? They they got uh, Nate Watson. David Duke. Um, David Duke is back, right? I believe David Duke is back. Um, Nate Watson. Um, yes. in fact, he, he took his, um, extra year. So I, I don't think that will be the problem where for St. John's, but I think that that will make them more of a tougher team than they may have been without Watson and Duke Butler having, uh, Thompson, Inzi and Golden back is oh, yeah. huge for them. Otherwise they might've been a team that may have been lower in the pack. Um, so there, it is tougher and the conference is probably going to get tighter next year, but you brought up 2018, Joey. This non-conference is a lot different than than what that 2018 year was. It's oh, yeah. not close to that. You and I probably will see each other there. Are going to be there for that big Kansas game. Oh yes. Uh, obviously, we didn't have that in, in 2018. Um, yeah, Indiana, Kansas, not as strong of a matchup as it used to be. Um, you're going to have the um, Gavit games as well with uh, Indiana. Yeah. You're going to have you, – there's going to be strong games. And, of course, I always get, you know, the Twitter comments I always pass by. Oh, why are we playing all oh, some of these bad teams or whatnot? you got to shake it up or whatnot. Right. As long as you have that balance, that that's what's good rather than you, – you can't have too much. Uh, you can't have a gauntlet of a schedule, but at the same time, you, you can't have a crap schedule like we saw in 2018 because then you get exposed in conference play. I think the team is is well coached. I know that they're going to have a lot of questions surrounding them about the roster turnover. Um, you, you mentioned all the transfers coming in, but in terms of the transfers coming in and those who left, uh, in, in no offense, but I think they're upgrades every everywhere you look. The the roster is an upgrade, and you you look at the roster from last year to this year, and that team last year got fourth. Imagine what they can be able to do this year with every single guy on their roster literally be, uh, coming from a, a major, a high major team. And then you obviously add in the freshmen. I mean, Rafael Penzone is having international basketball experience, yeah. having that guy come in as a freshman, currently playing at the uh, FIBA U19 uh, World Cup, uh, just had 13 points um, today for Puerto Rico. Um, he had, uh, I believe he had 17 points. Um, on the weekend in their first game um, in the yeah. World Cup. Um, so he's been having some good performances there. Uh, you talk, uh, Ian mentioned uh, Tariq Coburn. I mean, you, you have a guy, I don't care where it is at, a battle-tested veteran who averages double figures is going to be a guy who's 
who could be seventh, eighth on your bench even. It, it, they're just a much deeper team. And of course, the question is, can they be able to capitalize on all this hype and fulfill it? Because, you know, we can talk about the hype all we want. We, uh, As Joey's mentioned before, we've had this sort of hype in years past and, you know, it's faltered. But I think circumstances are different. You have a different coach. You have a different team. We'll have to see what happens. But uh, the signs are looking really good uh, for this team. I think their non-conference schedule, obviously not enough of it is revealed uh, yet. But most of it, as what we've seen so far, is exactly what you need in order to test you enough but not kill you in terms of a gauntlet um, to get ready for uh, conference season. And I, I think they'll they'll have a pretty good um, year. And I, I think at this point, the expectation, no matter what the other teams are going to do, the expectation is that they get back to the NCAA tournament or the season is a failure based on what the roster has. Wow. I- I, I love the I look, I love the fact Mike is drinking the juice. I love it. I love the enthusiasm. I love the fact he's going into his senior year at St. John's. And 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 you have every reason to feel the way you feel. And I think it's it's and I don't think you're going too far over your head or or reaching for the stars here. Oh, yeah, you're gonna you're no, I, I, I don't think that at all. I think you're being I think you're being quite reasonable, honestly. Um my my issue is is you said they were four last year. They got to four last year by the skin of their teeth. Um, it wasn't like they were they were top two, top three team all year, and then somehow at the bottom half may have had a little hit hit a little bit of a skid, and then dropped to fourth, and that's where they ended up in the Big East tournament. Um, my whole thing goes back just to this is going to be the first full season, no COVID, no testing. Um, back to let's use these words very very slightly normal. Um, and I think with that being said, and the amount of movement we've seen around the transfer portal, um, I think we saw how poor, at least until Georgetown got going, um, the bot really the two thirds of the big East was, I mean, the big East was absolutely horrific last year. Let's not, let's not discredit that either. Um, is how bad the big East was, um, aside from a couple of teams at the top. And I mean, we thought, I mean, Joey, Rob and myself for weeks, we're talking about how many teams is the big East getting in? Because at that point, I mean, we, we, we were sold on Villanova, Creighton and UConn. And after that, who knew <laughs> at that because point? Georgetown <laughs> if Georgetown didn't win the Big East Championship, the Big They're East probably would have lowest right? amount of bids since the mid-90s. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I'm expecting, Mike, not only is that do I expect St. John's to be stronger and not and on paper are they deeper? Am I like John Rothstein had labeled them today as a tournament team in tw- this upcoming year? As of right now, on paper, I'm buying it 100%. I, I, I am buying them as a tournament team right now on paper. <laughs> when the when the season tips off in a few months, let's see where they are a month, two months, even you know halfway through the season, and then we'll see. You know, we'll you know we'll reassess and see where where St. John stands. But because I think I think this is going to be one of the strongest years, just based on teams rebounding, guys coming back post COVID. This is going to be, in my opinion, one of the strongest years for the Big East. Um, in terms of how deep the conference is, how good the conference is going to be. I think it's going to be that good. So I, I don't want to, again, discredit you, Mike, and tell you that I, I don't, like I said, I, I don't think you're reaching for the stars, but at the same time, I think they're still right now until proven otherwise, until we see them against Kansas, until we see them against Indiana, until we see them start Big East play. Like I'd like to see them start Big East play against UConn and like Marquette 
instead of against maybe DePaul and Providence. Like I think Providence is going to have another down year. That's just my opinion. But, you know, I mean, as much as I like Ed Cooley and I like the program, I just don't think, I think when you look at the rest of the conference, I think they're just going to get so battered down by the rest of the conference. Um, I just think until they, until I see them more, it's hard to not at least label them at this point, even though I'm buying them as a potential tournament team, um, it's hard not to label them still as middle of the pack. The biggest question for St. John's is can they not get off to that slow start in Big East play that they did this past year? Because they yeah. put themselves in a hole and then they finally found their rhythm. The guys were able to gel and they, you know, they obviously went on the run that they did to, to finish off the year. Um, bar, of course, that horrible DePaul loss at home that pretty much ended their tournament hopes. Um, you know, I was there on the call for that. Man, that hurt. Um, but um, they didn't belong there anyway. But that's besides the point. That, that's the biggest key for them yeah. is that can they get off to a better start in Big East in the Big East Conference in the in their uh, conference play because that's been the problem the last couple of years. Whether it's been a hyped team or not, is that they've always get themselves into a hole that they can't dig themselves out of, and that's going to be the biggest key for you know whatever St. John's does this year. I, I don't think there's a more important start to Big East play for St. John's. I mean, it is every year, but I think even more so this year, considering how deep that team is. Go ahead, Joey. They started 0-3 uh, this past year in the COVID season. Six, uh, 77 to 68, they lost to Seton Hall. That was yep. also a rescheduled game. We remember that because of DePaul's COVID-19 related issues. The UConn contest uh that was actually i believe excuse me no that was the um they didn't play that they that did not right. know they did not play that and they did play that later on when james book Knight was hurt which is yep. why st john's was able to get their first win at uconn and more notably at gamble pavilion in nearly 20 years that's number one number two the reason why they did not or they played seton hall was because of that uconn uh switch up so that was uh, so that was my fault there uh, they also lost to Georgetown, uh, which was another shakeup because of Butler uh, on the 13th of December oh. by a score of 97 to 94. And I remember, Mike, I'll never forget that contest because that was just under the basket, under the basket. We remember this vividly, and I have this picture in my head when it was – it was done, wasn't it? St. John's was up, I believe, by like 15 or 20 points. With like five minutes left. Like no, five minutes left. Seven, uh, at the under two timeout, uh, yes. under two media timeout. They're up by seven and they they blow it. But yeah. they had a chance in overtime where they were shooting. It was Kudis Wahab, I believe, was the, was, was, was the one to score. Yes, it was. That bucket. Underneath the bucket. Gosh, was taking a free throw. Yes. The strategy was make one, intentionally miss it, get the rebound, put in the layup. And the plane went to perfection. Isaiah Moore gets the ball and yes. then gets blocked by Kudus Waha. Right. But it shouldn't have even have gotten to that point. Right. Well, it, wasn't that the same game where the recent Georgetown went ahead in overtime? Was was that the uh da, 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 and I just said his name too? The Rasheem Dunn turnover. Was that when he stepped on the sideline out of bounds? I don't I can't remember if it was the same game. it was on the inbounds play. It was on the it was on the inbounds play. And I can't or was remember. the Butler one. Yeah, oh, was, that was the yeah, Butler that was, Yes, that was the Butler one where they lost. Hold on, I will get you the exact score by a score of 76 to 73, where again, they came off to a hot start. And I believe, uh, Mike, it was at the U4 timeout. They were up by like 18 or something along those lines. They were up, yeah. they, they were up big in the first half. And then mm -hmm. 
it all went downhill. Now you bring up that point, Mike, about how this team needs to not have these lapses like how they did last year. I'll bring up those small losses. DePaul, 88 to 83. And I don't mean small loss like mm-hmm. it, you know, the score-wise. I'm talking about a massive loss to a team like DePaul mm-hmm. who had so many COVID-related issues that they didn't even get started until Christmas. That's number mm-hmm. one. Number two, also, they also lost to Seton Hall when they were ranked, if I'm not mistaken, I believe number four in the conference. And it was the 4-5 game that was one of the best games or anticipated best games in the Big East tournament in years where it was two consecutive Seton Hall contests and they thought, well, maybe, you know, who would would be a toss-up for for number three, right, for the third meeting. And then you also look back to the uh, to the Marquette game. I believe that was at Carneseca Arena. Let me just grab the score up here, uh, where they lost 73-71, where, again, uh, Julian Champagny was the only one able to put together something, and there was no help. I want to circle back to basically kind of end this topic here because the biggest thing with Julian Champagny, too, is, is that I read a few articles today, and this is something else that we noticed last year, too, is that Julian Champagny's defensive numbers, and we saw this too, Mike, last year St. John's defensively took a notch downward where Mike Anderson's teams are always defense first and the 40 minutes of hell, okay? That is exactly what they do. Now, this is the part where I agree with Mike, I agree with Mike and Ian in terms of depth. This is the part where Julian Champagny can really get back to form and become a formidable NBA draft pick. Why? Because he's got the experience around him. He's got the talent around him. And on top of it, too, the height is there. That is the The biggest thing. The height is finally there where he does not, in terms of Champagny, that is, he does not have to guard these players that are 6'11", 7'0". He doesn't have to. He's six foot eight. He's going to be playing more on the wing, and he's going to be able to take a few deep breaths and say, okay, now I can get back to playing my defensive style as well as taking it up a notch offensively as well. You look at some of the uh, at the starters here. The, the shortest guy on the team now is Posh Alexander, six foot. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. And the tallest guy that I could, that I could see here that's going to be starting, really, I, I would say, is Joel Soriano out of Fordham, 6'11". He's a junior too, and then you also have and I can't pronounce the name is uh um uh, uh yeah the Luhai? yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. exactly exactly what Mike said yeah it you know you, you look at what at how this team is constructed you look at Omar Stanley uh who's a freshman he's six foot eight you got these guys that are really six foot five and and taller and this team can finally compete and they're not playing small ball every single year they finally have. A well-constructed team, obviously, could the complete opposite of the New York Yankees that we were talking about earlier today, but uh, or earlier in the show. But this is a team that I think could definitely be top five. I wouldn't go top three yet because if that doesn't happen, yeah, I'm coming for you, Mike. I'm coming for you. <laughs> uh, top half for sure. Top half, top five, top six. Yeah, there's sure. no, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, I think and as long as you make the NCAA tournament, even if it's five or six, right. I, I think that I think that's a success either way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. There's there's definitely no doubt about it. And you have to. Uh, and you can't make the first four. You have to make. You have oh. to make the. You have to make the. You have to make the field of sixty four. There's no. There. There's no doubt in my mind. If you make the final four teams or the, if you become, 
teams number 65, 66, 67, and 68. It's just, it's not, in my opinion, it's not a fail because if you win, you eventually get there, but you're playing one more game than every other person is or every other team is. And that takes a lot out of you because usually those teams out of the first four, but then again, you look at UCLA. <laughs> You look at UCLA, what Mick Cronin did this past year. So that was some cool stuff there. Uh, and also, don't forget, uh, Pitt is on the schedule as well, too. Uh, no Champagne versus Champagne because Justin is uh, he's staying in the draft. So uh, it's going to be um, it's going to be Jeff Capel taking on uh, Julian Champagne, I guess. Not really much to uh, to discuss there, but uh, this 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 schedule, this non-conference schedule, is beginning to come out. Mississippi Valley State, and let's not forget who is from there. Anybody that is watching us. Anybody that is watching us, please give us a little bit of uh, insight on who went to Mississippi Valley State. Is that a question? Is that rhetorical? Or are you that is a question for all the viewers out there that are watching right now or even listening. You, you, got, you saw that. You saw that from uh, Jaden, Joey. That is correct. Yes, that. exactly. <laughs> I did see that, and you know what? And Jaden Daly will be getting credit for that. But anyone that is out there, we'd love to have a little bit of interaction with you. Who went to Mississippi Valley State? That is an NFL Hall of Famer. Oh, that's a. Oh. Tag us at Observe Eastern on Twitter if you know, and uh, and if not on Facebook if you're watching or listening. Put it in the comments. We'd love to see exactly uh, who who you guys think. Oh, it is. is it? Uh, can I guess? You can guess. Michael Strahan. Wrong. No. Okay. Wrong. I, I had it before. I think I, I heard it from uh, Jaden. I think you are 100 percent right, and that's where we're going to leave it off, and we will come back to the okay. end uh, or, or to that question. Oh, so now you end. got now you got that stuck on me, huh? <laughs> Mississippi Valley State NFL Hall of Famer. You're gonna yeah. kick yourself if you when 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 you hear the answer, you're gonna be like, oh, oh man, wow! I just I just saw who it was. Wow! Yeah, he just he 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 just wow. looked it up. Yeah. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian right. Schreier just cheated. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm allowed. I'm allowed. I'm not gonna guess again. I only guessed once. I only guessed once. It was a pretty glaring omission on my, on my part. But. There you go. There you go. Uh, but yeah, no, that's say, and and that's and that's the and that's the biggest thing uh, with obviously Julian Champagny. Uh, returning also this year too, guys, I just want to bring up this one more point about, about St. John's to Tariq Coburn. Also, he just committed, uh, from Hofstra. He was also at St. Bonaventure as well. Uh, one final thought from Mike Zabo on Tariq Coburn. What do you see with him and really how he comes in here where Mike Anderson can conceivably send out 10 guys on a given night? Well, he's a guy that he's an experienced veteran. He averaged uh, double figures, obviously, a half show last year, 15 and a half points uh, per game. But the biggest thing about him is shooting. He's never shot under 39% from three-point range, which obviously you and I uh, know, Joey, big time how much that has been a struggle oh, for yeah. St. John's over years is consistent three-point shooting. He's a big guy where you can be able to get it from, uh, once again, never shot under 39%. From beyond the arc in his career, um, Steph Smith is also another one uh, who shoots uh, really well from three in his junior year, a uh, year and a half ago, shot 42%. That's what they'll be looking for from him. But Coburn, having him in there, um, you know, he's going to be a, a good shooter for them, a guy who at times can be able to uh, be a ball handler. I know that's a big question going around St. John's if, if they should use that last scholarship spot on um, a ball, hand, a true ball handler that could back up Posh. But I think they do have a couple. I think we saw in the World Cup with Pinzone. Mm -hmm. uh, he can ball handle a little bit. Coburn, I think, 
uh, will have some ball handling du- duties that he can be able to pick up there. Um, you know, he he's just a really good guy to have on the bench. And also, if you want to be an NCAA tournament team as well, another facet of it that goes underrated is being able to consistently make your free throws, especially in tough games right at the end. And Coburn is a career 82% free throw shooter. How huge is that to be able for Mike Anderson Let's say in a late game situation against Seton Hall, you're up by two or three in the final minute of the game. You can bring him in in a situation where Seton Hall has to get into the foul game, and he's one of the guys that you you know you're going to foul, and you get to put a guy who shoots 82. He's able to draw those fouls, right? Right, right there, and uh, that's another asset that's not being you know not talked about enough. And the fact is, he's also a really smart guy. You know, he's coming here for to St. John's. Uh, for the pharmacy uh, program. So yes. a great guy on and off the court um, for the uh, program. So I think it's a really good ad for him on that, uh, for St. John's on that end. Yeah. They, they say there's, there's really no doubt about it. And again, as we brought up also about, uh, about sending, you know, sending out 10, being able to do that mm-hmm. relatively again um, is really, is really great stuff too. Uh, guys, let's keep moving forward here. Um, you know, we still got a few more minutes here on our show, but a couple of sports updates here last night. Um, there was a tragic passing, uh, Columbus blue jackets, goaltender, uh, uh, Mattis Kevlinix, uh, tragically passed away at the age of 24 yesterday. Uh, reports came out was because, uh, he made a tragic fall. That was not the case. Uh, unfortunately a firework, uh, basically hit him in the chest, uh, that was quote blunt force trauma to the chest. Uh, and effectively he, uh, he uh, succumbed to those injuries. Um, for some, for some, those, some of those that, uh, that do light off fireworks, um, again, leave it to the professionals. It's very, it's very, very, you know, it's straightforward. Uh, please leave it to the professionals. and, And that includes myself, obviously. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I do. Um, I, I, I've, I've had some fireworks related issues before. Um, and we've had some, uh, some dealings where a mortar falls over. Um, you don't have it on plywood. You don't have it on flat ground and, uh, and it falls over and then you're midway through and you have to literally run for your dear life, uh, because it is a gunshot literally that could kill you. And it did yesterday. Uh, for Kiv Linux. Um, I don't do it anymore um, because of things like that. And because of that one time that it did happen to me, um, I leave it to the professionals and just simply, if I want to go see fireworks, I go elsewhere and see the professionals do it at a show or a park or anything along those lines. Um, Mattis Kiv Linux was 24 years old. Uh, he was trying to clear everyone out of the way, his friends. Um, and unfortunately, uh, he made the sacrifice um, and took his own, and obviously his, his own life was taken uh, because of that. So, uh, 24 years old, Mattis Kivlinix. Uh, we saw some uh, some tweets about it uh, from Max Domi. Uh, he said he's going to miss him, old friend, and uh, you know it's definitely a big loss in the National Hockey League as well as the Columbus Blue Jackets family, um, where he will he's no longer with us here on on this earth. Uh, guys, a little more happy thoughts, uh, and actually a little more gagging thoughts. Um, Joey Chestnut broke his, uh, broke his own record 
uh, with 76 hot dogs, uh, uh, hot dogs taken down. Mike Zavo, I can see you gagging through the screen right now. How disgusting is that? 76 hot dogs. Well, every time I hear this stuff about the hot dog eating contest, all I can think of about how much waste is going to be in the toilet right after. (laughs) It's funny. Every time I read that, oh, Joey Chestnut, you know, eats 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. I'm just thinking, oh, my God, how many pounds of crap is that going to be in in half an hour? Because, you know, that's just insane how much you're putting into your body in a crazy amount of short amount of time. Um, but uh, hats off to him. I mean, I, I don't know how I, it's just, it's just nuts how you stuff your face like that in such a short amount of time. I, I yesterday I, I was with family having a barbecue. I had like three hot dogs in half an hour. And I think that's enough. <laughs> Ten minutes, good Lord. Well, I will say, if you get money for it, you'll do anything. But. Say, I will tell you this though, you know, first, before we got to see the hot dog eating contest, which mind you, by the way, ESPN dropped the ball big time oh. on that because that world record was not seen because of ESPN's uh, issues that ran from the truck to inside Mominades Park uh, at, in, uh, or formerly known as MCU Park at Coney Island. Uh, where, mind you, this is year number one of it being inside a building or a ballpark or anything along those lines because the corner of Surf and Stillwell is where Nathan's Famous is, the original Nathan's Famous. And obviously, on Surf Avenue, they've got the wall, and that is exactly where they've been conducting these hot dog eating contests for as long as I've been alive. And to see... In a ballpark, I thought it was pretty cool, number one, because it, you know, helps the Mets organization, helps Brooklyn Cyclones, you know, all, all could all cool things there. And really it also gives uh it, it it gets that ballpark uh you know some alternate use whenever the cyclones are on the road. Um, but not only that though, but um, like I said, excuse me, in terms of in terms of the the record being broken and ESPN dropping the ball big time, uh major league eating is really is is I'm sure. I'm sure of it beyond not happy about this. Ian Schreier, we were, uh, we were texting about this yesterday during the lemonade chugging contest that, that, <laughs> that, 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 uh, that took place prior to the hot dog eating contest. I was going to ask what was the better record uh, before you mentioned ESPN. Was it Joey's uh, hot dog eating uh, record or was it the amount of time that the ESPN broadcast went out for? I mean, oh. But um, I, I can, you know, what? I, I, I turn it on every year, if I'm, especially if I'm home and, I can only watch so much of Joey Chestnut scarfing down those hot dogs before my stomach starts to gurgle. Um, I think it's disgust. I, I I can't. I can't. Uh, honestly, if if I'm if I'm eating lunch, I have a hard time holding my lunch watching it. It just looks like. I mean, it. it I don't understand how this man is not going to spend the next thirty years. You know, in thirty years, is not going to have serious indigestion problems. Like I, I just don't get it. But look, I made. I mean, according to you, mate. I mean, listen, you're the first person to tell me yesterday, Joey, that major league eating is a real thing. I thought ESPN just kind of made it up. Um, but, then again, this, but then again, there's pastrami eating challenges. Yes. Potato salad eating challenges. Chicken wings. Uh, don't for, hold on, hold on. Don't forget there are there were a few guys <laughs> during the introduction yesterday that we saw. We saw yesterday there were. Uh, 60 tamales eaten in eight minutes. Now, I can't even imagine that. 60 tamales, and for those, what does your mouth feel like after that? That's exactly, (laughs) I mean, I can't even, I can't even have one, let alone 60. 
uh, explosive you know, diarrhea maybe i mean i don't yeah, know ex exactly and 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 you know and then to see lemonade chugging contest that that happened prior and then you even had the women's contest that happened prior and the women have about 30 to four or rather 25 to 30 hot dogs uh, that was that was a uh, it was not a world record, but I, I forgot her name. Michelle. Uh, she set the record too, though, didn't she? Set like, the record. She set the record yeah. well for the women. Yeah, for the women as well. So you know, you've you've got the tamales, you've got the pastrami, you've got the corned beef sandwiches, and oh keep God. in mind, and keep in mind too, folks, for those that are out there watching, the hot dogs have to go down with the buns as well. The and, and what is it? Minimum, and I saw this on the rules. What is it? Minimum three dunks into That's the water. <laughs> <laughs> There's a minimum number of dunks you're allowed into the water. Okay, That's right. That's I, right. And and you know, what? I guess it's so that the starch doesn't like uh, the the carbs don't dissipate in the in the water. But whatever. I, yeah. Well, the biggest thing to me, the biggest thing to me also about this contest is is that. Um, my a late friend of mine, uh, Liam McAvoy, may he rest in peace. Um, he was the one that got me onto this uh, many, many years ago when we were like in second and third grade. And I remember watching uh, Takuro Kubayashi for those uh, major yeah. league fans out there. And Takuro Kubayashi was disqualified uh, many years later because of uh, a finding that there was some uh, some secret passageway in his stomach where they eventually found out that. Uh, I don't know if this was confirmed, but I remember it was like it was rumors that that really were carried along for a while that he had a second stomach and he was he kind of had a, a like a, a little bit of an advantage where he was able to out eat everybody because that stomach went into the second stomach where he was able to fill everything in there. But then obviously Joey Chestnut was able to uh, to you know be Jaws, if you will, that is his nickname. And, uh, and just, just out eat everybody. And he broke his own world record yesterday with 76 hot dogs. That is an independence day special uh, on ESPN every single year, but uh, kudos to Joey Chestnut. And really you wonder if these guys wear depends, Joey, like, do you think these guys go up there? They wear depends. I'm going to venture to say that they do not. But what I will <laughs> say though, is, is that they drink a, a disgusting amount of Pepto-Bismol after they are done that I can tell you that. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. And I think that that Pepto-Bismol should be. And you know what? I don't think it was a sponsor for them. I think it used to be. I don't think it is anymore. I, I, I just love the fact that DraftKings. One or the other. Not that, not, that I, not, that I, not that I ever take any betting interest whatsoever. But the fact that DraftKings um, was a sponsor of the Hot Dog Eating Challenge, yet there were no proposition bets. Um, on the hot dog eating challenge through DraftKings. <laughs> it's crazy. It, 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 it's, it's honestly crazy stuff. But again, we bring up crazy. 76, 76 hot dogs was the world record. So congratulations to Joey Jaws Chestnut uh, for just completely out eating everybody. And there was not a single doubt in anyone's mind, including some of the competitors that he was going to uh, you know, give in or anything. I believe there was about a 20 hot dog lead. And I can't believe I'm saying this, a 20 hot dog lead by like three minutes in, it was something disgusting. And he would dunk it into, into the Nathan's famous lemonade, disgusting stuff. But, uh, but that is, that is the tradition on July 4th, uh, every day or every year at 12 noon Eastern time on the corner of surf and Stillwell at the original Nathan's famous, uh, and we'll see if uh, if Jaws can come back next year, and he's definitely going to. 
uh, to reclaim his title yet again and just keep on defending it every single year for as long as I've known. I believe since 2007 or eight or something along those lines, mm-hmm. he has won it and he has won it easily. There's, uh, you know, there, there, there's no, there's no if ands or buts with him, uh, with him winning any of those, uh, any of those. Uh, guys, Hard Knocks uh, was just announced a couple of days ago that the Dallas Cowboys will be the team featured on the HBO series Hard Knocks. It will be premiering on August 10th at 10 p.m. Guys, do either one of you watch Hard Knocks? I I watched it seldomly the year that the yeah. Jets had it when Rex was coaching. Yeah. Um, I just think this 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 has the potential though. Yes, it makes me want to watch it because it's the Cowboys, and B uh, makes me it makes me wonder what we're going to learn more about with Jerry World, yeah, um, and and the uh, and the Cowboys, and um, I think it might be better than pay per view to be quite honest with you, and it's it's I think it's definitely going to be worth a watch because I think it's going to give the year of the Rex and the Jets on Hard Knocks, which is always which I feel like has been held in this area to the gold standard of all the jokes that Rex would tell. And there'd be all these stories. Did you watch hard knocks last night with the jets? Did you watch hard knocks with the jets? So I think right. this, I think with Jerry around, this is going to make it all the more entertaining. Um, so <laughs> kudos to the NFL on uh, because I know that um, there are certain teams that um, are required, I guess, based on the year that you had previously. And I know the giants were part of that list um, that if you're picked, you can't say no. So go figure of all the teams, they pick the Cowboys. And I'm sure, and I'm sure that Jerry Jones was trying to get out of it in some oh, way, shape, or form. Uh, but you know what? See, that's the thing. If you say no to that, then uh, then then it's very simple. You're simply going to get on it regardless, and that is an NFL rule. Yeah, uh, you have to you have to do it. You have to do it, and now you get to be exposed uh to to certain to certain things on hbo really cool stuff i will tell you though i uh, got to see the los angeles rams a couple of years ago really really great uh great stuff there i did not watch it last year i don't remember who was on it last year um but whoever it was uh last year i did not get to raiders, watch it. raiders. Oh, yeah. uh, was it the was it las vegas raiders again i'm pretty sure yeah i'm pretty sure that yes i believe it was yes it was the las vegas raiders yes because that was obviously with uh uh, thank you, Brian Morales. Yes, with uh, with the Raiders, uh, because I remember the whole Antonio Brown. Uh, Antonio Brown. I did watch it last year, actually. Yes, uh, where we obviously we got to see his foot, uh, which looked absolutely disgusting, uh, and <laughs> him wearing his his original helmet that obviously became uh, expendable. You weren't able to wear that 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 helmet because of safety protocols, uh, and then obviously the move from Oakland to Las Vegas. That was some pretty good stuff. Um, guys, let's keep on moving forward here. And uh, that's pretty much it. And and when I say let's keep moving forward here, we still got our kudos to do. Uh, we forgot to do our kudos last week, but uh, let's let's start with Ian Schreier in terms of uh, who the kudos goes to uh, for episode number sixty. Ian Schreier, let's get things started here on our kudos portion of sure, the show. Sure, thank you. And uh, and my kudos are going to go to two people. Um, since we didn't get a chance to get to our kudos last week, I wanted to include um since they both are involved in the collegiate athletics profession my first kudos goes to the now former head coach of the liu post pioneers slash liu sharks division one formerly division two now division one football program brian collins who uh was my boss and brought me home to be to be their athletic media relations director from uh 2013 until 2017 was just a great four years working there um and uh i've known brian since my days as a student at post and uh 
He was named head coach there in 1998. He's the school's all-time winning as coach, the program's all-time winning as coach, and uh, uh, just a, leaving a lasting legacy uh, behind for that university and his time as athletic director for that program and leading young uh, men between the ages of 18 to 21 on the gridiron. And uh, just want to congratulate Brian on a phenomenal um, career um, at LSU and hope there is more and more to come to see of Coach Collins. And then my second kudos goes to now the former associate AD and sports information director of the College of Staten Island, Dave Pizzuto, um, who will be taking on a role now working in university communications. Um, David's been at CSI. I mean, he believe in his career, he spent 98% of his career working at the College of Staten Island. I believe he spent a couple of years somewhere sandwiched in between early on at uh, Division II Georgian Court down in Lakewood, New Jersey. Um, so I uh, just want to wish Dave all the best and congratulations on a phenomenal uh, sports information career and just, again, happy trails, but also uh, hope to see him back in the sports information profession soon. My, I'm going to go with this. Um, my kudos goes to the legendary Marv Albert. Uh, Marv Albert finished his 55-year broadcasting career a couple of nights ago. Uh, Bucks Hawks was his last broadcast. And to see Marv, what he has been doing, if you don't watch the NBA or if you do watch the NBA casually, you know who Marv Albert is. And for those that are older and know about the Chicago Bulls and the New York Knicks NBA Finals when O.J. Simpson was going through his whole escapades, and we sure. remember the voices in that NBA game, in between the special reports, in between all of that, and we got to see it on the last dance for obviously for the younger fan or the younger generation in myself. Um, you got to see, you got to hear Marv, and you got to hear, and really that is a uh, is an iconic moment because obviously not in world history, but also in sports history because during all of this, that really was a big. Uh, a big scandal at the time, a big a murder mystery or anything along those lines. Uh, you got to hear in between, obviously, with Michael Jordan going for, uh, you know, in 1994, uh, you know, going for another another world championship. Um, for to hear Marv call those games, it's it was really amazing, and even that too, um, to hear him do it now. Um, in his early eighties is really amazing. And obviously now his son, Kenny is doing a phenomenal job uh, on NBC with, uh, with the Stanley cup final, being able to call his first finals, obviously uh, in place of doc Emmerich. Um, but going back to Marv though, uh, you know, really, really amazing stuff. And, and Brian Morales remembers this as well. Marv Albert on NBC for Knicks bulls, iconic Starks for three. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, and you see, you see, you heard it. Uh, you know those moments, and you know exactly where you were, uh, and and you know that voice too. That voice will forever, uh, forever live on. So uh, it was uh, June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. Was the uh, the infamous, and I and I believe Joey, and I'm not I don't, I'm not trying to correct you, but um, I'm just thinking back to my childhood here because I was nine years old on June in June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four, and that was in nineteen ninety four. Michael Jordan was retired already, um, or is first retirement oh, yeah you're right um so that, that was, was actually yes that was his first retirement yes the series yes, you were thinking of was, was actually uh, yeah. 
the series you were actually thinking of was Nick's Rockets, was the NBA Finals. Um, oh, June yes. 17, 1994. Um, and then the series that pre- you know preceded it was uh, Nick's Pacers, but uh, um, for the Eastern Conference Final uh, with uh, Reggie and all of his uh, taunting and so on and so forth. And <laughs> why I will forever respect but hate Reggie Miller till the day I die. But um, nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, Reggie Miller tortured me a lot as a child. So as did MJ um, and so many others. But um, yes, I'll never forget June 17th, 1994, Marv Alberts calls of yes, you know, uh, as as long as I live. He's just a a legend, um, especially all his years broadcasting the Knicks before it was Mike Breen and um, and Clyde. It was it was Marv. So I just want to congratulate him on as well on an outstanding career. Mike Zabo, your kudos goes to? My kudos are going to bring it back a, a little bit to what um, uh, you and I, Ian, talked about it, uh, two weeks ago with the European Championships. And once again, going to shout out uh, Denmark, who, of course, we heard a couple of years ago, shock, uh, you know, it was a shocking moment for the sports world when we had the uh, circumstances surrounding Christian Eriksen and his collapse on the field. And, you know, his struggles and gladly now that he's out of the hospital, glad uh, to see that that's the case, that he's up and about and doing well. But going from a scary moment there to start off the tournament and now going all the way to the semifinals, the farthest they have been since they won the competition in 1992, little Denmark, who would have known? Um, It's just an absolutely incredible story. And if they're able to God forbid if they were able to make it to a, a, a final and do the the spectacular. I don't think they will. I think England will be strong uh, uh, and beat them. Well, uh, England stronger and will beat them there. But either way, it's just an incredible story. The run that they uh, have made on the the backs and the inspiration of you know doing it, um, you know, for Christian Eriksen is just inspiring and. and you know, it just brings, once again, a, a human element to sports all over again. And, you know, it gives you that team that everybody sort of wants to uh, root for, no matter, you know, what your affiliation is and who you do like. You know, Denmark in this tournament just had, you know, a certain thing that, you know, everybody just gravitated toward, even if, you know, even if you didn't know what happened with Christian Eriksen. It's just been a, a great run. We'll see what happens. But kudos to them for what they've been able to do. Yeah, really crazy stuff uh, to see that also, uh, that the UEFA Euro uh, is coming to a close, uh, I believe, next week. I think July or July 11th, I think. July 11th, uh, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, really crazy stuff that, you know, and then two weeks after that, uh, you're going to be saying, uh, seeing the world's best soccer players on the Olympic stage uh, roughly yep. you know, two weeks after that, which is really, which is really amazing. So. Uh, you know, for all of the Euro- European soccer fans out there that saw their respective team may have lost, you might be seeing them once again, uh, you know, roughly in about two weeks. This is going to be the craziest summer in terms of sports because <sighs> table tennis will be coming your way. And Ian Schreier knows table tennis, badminton, those no, two sports no, will no, no, the way in the no, world of no, the Olympics. There no, is no doubt about no, it. And no. he soccer loves it. In two weeks. Olympic soccer falls in two weeks. And then <laughs> um, about a month and a half after that, we've got World Cup qualifiers yep. starting. That, so, uh, that is true. But before all of that, though, we've got badminton and table tennis. So all good things there uh, coming pool. ahead. Wouldn't you just love to see, Mike, wouldn't you just love to see Joey do Olympic crew one of these days, lightweight rowing? or mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe in the winter we'll put him on alpine skiing and see how he looks on the side <laughs> or something like that. I'm, 
where he comes up with this. I know he does it to bust my chops, but I just can't deal with him. Oh man, Ian, what, what? So Ian, I have to ask you this then what really grinds your gears in terms of the on Olympics a, on a, then on, on a good, on a good day, Joey Jarzinka grinds my gears every day. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's conclude our show uh, by by telling you about tomorrow's show, the Essential Wrestling Podcast, which is presented to you by uh, by ProWrestlingPickem.com. Uh, it comes your way tomorrow, July 6th, beginning at 6 p.m. It's going to be uh, live right here on the Eastern Observer. You could find it on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Google Play Store, as well as YouTube. Be sure to tune in tomorrow to see Al Carl, Ryan Joy, John DeCani, John Smith, as well as Gary Meheffy take you through all things wrestling. Be sure to subscribe to our show, The Primetime Rundown, on the following platforms, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as the Google Play Store. Also, by searching on YouTube at the i95 Sports and Entertainment Network. Also, let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Be sure to download their newest album, Free Cake, which is out loud uh, or out now, play loud. And also their newest hit single, Dirty Little Hipster, is out on the following platforms as well. Ladies and gentlemen, for Ian Schreier, Mike Zabo, and in the words of Marv Albert, for all of us here at the Eastern Observer and the Blackjack Media Group, I'm Joey Jarzinka. Thank you and good night.